Hello and welcome to Forever Young Adult, a podcast where I, Aoife, and I, Kira, discuss and read and review and just hold books about that are predominantly... <laughs> I forgot how to do an intro. Um, we do books that are for young adults and we just hold them. I just hold books these days. I don't actually read them anymore. I just hold them. So I'm guessing you're uh, missing the library. <laughs> Here in Ireland, we have returned into lockdown, and I actually am in the physical library more or less every second day, but I cannot hand books to to humans anymore, um, and that makes me a little bit sad. But, I mean, we're doing various different ways to get books out to people. You can use Barabah. Like, this isn't... This podcast is not here to support the libraries, but while I am here and I have you, you can use Barrowbox with your local Irish library. Kira is here to support the libraries, no and matter what. if you are over 70 or you know someone who is over 70 or someone who is vulnerable and cannot leave their house, ask them to contact their local library to see if they can, uh, to see if they can benefit from our housebound services, which are nationwide. What are those medically vulnerable categories? Should pregnant people look into it? Uh, it's just if you're medically vulnerable. It's very broad. Okay. Um, initially, during lockdown one, we were like, if you are cocooning for any reason, then we will bring you a selection of books. And then the government for, for lockdown two was just like, well, cocooning isn't a thing anymore. But if you are vulnerable, you should stay at home. And I'm like, I don't. How do I? Uh, so just if you are vulnerable and staying at home, contact us. It's broad. So if we're not staying at home, we just can't have books? You can avail of our e-services. Okay, cool. Um, it feels like forever since we've done one of these, Kira. It, uh, it hasn't been. It's only been like two weeks. <laughs> it, it feels like forever. What do we even do here? I, usually we say something nice about each other or ourselves that's happening uh, in our lives. Oh my God, okay. <laughs> that sounded kind of pushy uh which isn't a nice thing to say about you i can um, be pushy i'm ch- i'm chill with that you can be pushy um you sent me some pictures of some amazing skirts you got off boohoo which made me very much want new skirts but because i am the person that i am what i did was try find good fabric shops in ireland because i'm super into sewing now um yeah. i am repairing an old slipper as we speak what do we do on this podcast? On this, oh my God, what is this intro? So on this podcast, we read and review young adult fiction. And I read... And, oh, I heard you say that earlier. <laughs> and I read the book Pest by Awake Emizi this week. And it was very, very good. It was very good. Good. I'm going to tell you about it now if that's chill. That is chill. That's what we do here. I've now remembered. <laughs> so... To tell you about it, I have to tell you a little bit about Owake first. Okay. So Owake was raised in Nigeria and they now live in New York. And this is their first young adult novel. but And I think it might actually be their first novel. But they have another novel for adults. And they also have like a fictional autobiography out as well called Freshwater. Fictional autobiography? Fictionalized autobiography. Like it's based a lot on their own life and their own experiences. But it is also fictionalized. And like I was reading a couple of interviews with them because they just seem like a really interesting person. 
and they were talking about how like they interviewed their mother for the book Freshwater and their mother was like don't put anything embarrassing in the book and then they were like well don't why did you tell me embarrassing things (laughs) and I'm just like yes that is I think a good attitude to have as a writer like Particularly if you're going to do an autobiography, it's like, mm, do I want to put in all the people who wronged me? Well, <laughs> they shouldn't have wronged me. Um, and they are non-binary, which is why I've been using they. But mm-hmm. they also, because they are Nigerian, there is like aspects of their identity that like we as Western people don't really understand because they describe themselves as as being non-binary, but there's this thing called an obanje. Oh, I've, I've heard of obanjes, yeah. Yeah, um, obanjes, and they believe that they are an obanje. It's sort of a maligned identity to my knowledge. Like, yeah, and they talk a lot, like in different interviews and stuff that I read about, about how they feel like that, but they've also like lived with it now and they're bringing it in together. And they, they have had various surgeries and they feel like those aligned their identity more as well. So there's interesting things happening there that like, I would just be more interested in reading more from this author, basically, because they do talk about like that looking into this author and like interviews with them really made me want to read Freshwater, which is semi-autobiographical um, mm-hmm. and just like hear them talk about being trans more and the dysphoria that they feel around us and a lot of I know that I'm constantly on the pod complaining that I don't have a cat find trans representation that I like um Mm -hmm. and that I find that like it's very frustrating even sometimes when I have read books by trans people I'm like this doesn't ring anyway to me um I say as a cis person but it was very, very interesting listening to them talk about like their identity from a non-Western background. Yeah, as well. and I really wanted to cover more non-Western books on the pod, kind of because you do get that richness of experience and you do get to learn about people whose worlds are just usually not visual to us. Mm-hmm. Unless there is more than one outspoken... Obanje living in America who is a writer I think I've read something by this author talking about their experience and I think about transitioning as a non-binary person and how a significant part of their desire in transitioning was to not have procreative abilities anymore Mm -hmm. due to the cultural the cultural association of the non-binary gender they have um and I remember reading that, um, I think it was a think piece just in terms of like, what's it like transitioning when like, you have to explain to the people who might help you with medical transition, just like everything. And it's kind of a heightened example of, you know, all trans people trying to access, you know, gender affirming medical treatments. Um, so uh, <laughs> how does that come up in this book or does it? It does like... So, again, I've complained a lot about, like, having stories in which the character, the main character is trans and, or the side character is trans and, like, it just feeling like very bad representation. 
Mm-hmm. And that, like, the trans people just in those... sorrowful books, representation. Sorrowful representation. And, like, the, the trans people in those books have no story other than the fact that they are trans. And part of that is that the books that we read are often coming-of-age stories and co- people coming-of-age don't really have much going on except discovering who they are. Sorry, that's complete middle-class person privilege to think that you can come of age without much else happening in your life. But that is okay. That is true, but that it tends to be the focus of books in which people are coming of age. And yes, like they simplify things. They simplify things so that discovering who you are and your identity is the only thing that's happening in that moment, even if other things are happening around you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Um, but it, I'm interested now in Freshwater, even though, you know, it wouldn't fall under the remit of the pod. It's, I don't know, it is particularly, I like to see um, queer narratives from cultures that are different from the one, one, the ones we are used to seeing and different from my own, which are, again, two different types of queer experience as well. But, you know, Ellen Page did a documentary series where she traveled the world and talked to queer people and learned about queer subcultures and there's a lot of diversity out there as okay what i was saying about trans people the main character of this book is trans we find out in the first chapter and then it is never referenced again okay i kind of like that yeah it's fab she our so our main character is called jam and she is a black trans girl who is selectively verbal and primarily uses sign language. I already love her and I love her name. It's Everyone, a very good name. You are going to love all the names in this book. So Jam okay. is our main character. Her best friend is called Redemption. All these people are trans, okay? You don't get names <laughs> this cool if you're cis. These are names that people have got to like create for themselves. The book posits the concept that they live in a world that was our world, but they are now living in kind of a utopia. Or is it? Dun, dun, dun. So they're living in a utopia because there's been a massive revolution and a massive like sea change. And they stopped all of the monsters. And monsters can be anyone. That's a that's a big big theme of the book monsters can be anyone Mm -hmm. and monsters used to be police officers and they used to be mayors and they used to be teachers and they just used to be people with power who were abusing us and they don't have monsters anymore and instead they have angels and angels are people who want to do good in the world and correct wrongs and so their current mayor is an angel and some of the angels are people who were directly involved in the Reformation, and some of them are are coming in younger. So, so are we a generation out from this yeah. world? So from our world, have were our main characters born into our world or after it? Our main characters were born into Lucille after the Reformation. Um, but okay. but Jam's parents and Redemption's parents were both active in the tide in turning the tide and changing the world and so there are there are no monsters in lucille is is the thing and that's always uh there are no insert villainous concept in 
place that seems utopian is always a, a statement that ends up disproved by the end of the book. Yeah, yeah. And always. It is, the book is Jam a little bit herself being like, but how are there no monsters? And then that quickly becomes, oh, there is a monster and I have to find them. Sorry, how does she find proof of this monster? We, we will get to the monster in a bit because I want to talk about Lucille for a little bit first. Mostly, Lucille's a place, but it's got a person name. Lucille is a place is, with a person name. Everyone in Lucille... It's fun because the people don't have very personish names. I know, it's amazing. So I have no evidence that Lucille is 100% black, but every person that we meet is. So okay. there we go. And Lucille is just... There isn't... It's a, Okay, it's a really short book. It barely hits 200 pages. It's a short book. It's not a very like complicated read. There is a lot of exposition. But at the same time, for a book that's really short, very like simple read, I feel like it gave me a lot more world building than the length would imply. Like I can really envision Lucille. And part of that is that it is basing some of it on like our current knowledge of the world and then being like but what if it wasn't that are we having turnabout by margaret peterson haddock's kind of vibes where it's a very bounded story but like world building amazing i think so i think so like Mm -hmm. like the setup for understanding what lucille is as a town and who the people are takes place over like two pages and yet I can really vividly imagine it. Um, I always really admire writers who are able to do that. It is a style and a skill that I would love to have myself. The ability to do this amazing world building that keeps the world feeling real without being bogged down in it at all. I feel like you tend to get it a lot in the uh, slightly younger YA books as well because Turnabout by Margaret Haddix was also very 13 14 year olds I think yeah this book is this book is aimed at 12 plus and now I don't know if I would be giving it to I don't know if I would put it in the hands of many 12 year olds but I would definitely be looking to give it to like 14 15 year olds and I would also be looking to just give it to just anyone that would take it from me Mm -hmm. it is really good it is really short but because it is aimed this is going to be like the thing that I didn't like most about it. It's because it is aimed at a younger audience primarily. Some of it felt a little bit spoon feedy. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that could also be the length. Like if it was longer, I think Jam might have been able to like investigate some of her own thoughts and theories and beliefs a little bit more. Whereas often she will like, ask a question or like raise a moral point and just have it answered for her Mm -hmm. and I think that that could have been that could have been explored a bit more but again sometimes it is nice just to have someone answer your questions um for for instance like at one point she asks am I a terrible person and is immediately answered there is no such thing there is only what you do and which I think where is she getting these answers from Okay, we have to go back to the story. <laughs> okay, because, yeah, we, we are trying to keep focused for this one. We're focused trying to keep like focused. a well-written book. So Jam has, like, started raising some questions about 
how how the angels brought about change and also just like she wants to know how they got their name in terms of like angels are also uh, a mythical religious tied being Mm -hmm. and she's like well why do we call them angels what's the angels from like the bible look like what's the deal with that and religion isn't really thought but it is understood because religion used to cause lots of problems so there are people who have religion in lucille but it's not really like it's it's much more personal than we know it like you and i both went to religious schools even though they were public Mm -hmm. schools and all of this so it is there is that much more separation between like religion and state but the religion the angels are like there and they are like a religion thing. They're no. a god thing. So like the concept of angels as a god thing is there, but angels are humans. Angels are people okay. who want to try and do better and be better. That's okay. that's all what an angel is. In the same way that monsters are also people that are doing bad. It's okay. it's a metaphorical title. So she could be a monster if she wanted to do bad things and chose to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyone can be a monster, but anyone can be an angel. It's both. You have to make choices. And that is why mm-hmm. there is there is no such thing as a terrible person. There is only what you do. Okay. And she gets told this by... So her mother, Bitter, is an artist and she has been struggling with this art piece for a few weeks and it's like this feathered monster thing and it it has like she has painted her own hands onto it um but because they are lifeless they look like corpse hands and it has like it has horns coming out of its head and it doesn't have a face and it has hooved feet and it has like mm-hmm. razor blades like attached to the canvas. And okay. that is an art piece that Bitter has been been working on. And it sounds like she is dealing with some feelings. Yeah, and B- Bitter is cool. I liked Bitter a lot. She's one of the few characters that Jam voices with. Because even her father, she tends to like fall back into sign. Like she does voice with her father but she also signs whereas like she almost yeah. only voices with her mother and then she signs with everyone else more or less every so often okay to emphasize a point more than anything else she will voice but it is she is primarily signing throughout the book she also okay and that so bitter has made this painting with razor blades attached to it and is like it's finished and leaves and jam who i think it's not confirmed and also like it's not an issue because the world is built to accommodate people much more than it accommodates people in the real world um i think is probably autistic and feels the world around her much differently to the other people in the books like she she describes how like when she's in her bedroom she can feel the house talking to her and where her parents Mm -hmm. are in the building and when they leave and she can just like feel the emotions of the house by like putting her hands on the on the walls and different things and when her mother says that she has finished the painting she can like 
feel the painting and the energy from the painting. So she like goes to look at it and she has a lot of like mixed feelings about going to look at it on her own because Bitter has never told her that she can't spend any time in her art studio. And like she spent time on her own in her art studios before, but like the energy is different now. And even just walking around okay. Lucille, she feels energies and things. It's really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some of that definitely sounds like hyper empathy, you know, like a, a higher level of empathy and a neurotypical way of processing the world. But it is really, really cool to see that just incorporated. Yeah. Um, That's cool. When she goes to witness the fi- finished pa- painting, she cuts herself on one of the razor blades because she feels like drawn to it and she touches it and cuts, cuts her hand. And mm-hmm. she like cleans it all up and is like really worried about having ruined the painting. And then the painting comes to life. Okay. And this is past. And how is that different from how it was before? Well, it's bef- like communicating now. It was just, it just had vibes before. Oh no, sorry. The creature in the painting detaches itself from the painting and becomes a, a breathing physical being in the in the room okay yeah cool and initially jam is like real scared of it but also one of its horns gets stuck in the painting and she's just like oh you clumsy being i have to help you out of the painting and it's harder to be very scared of something (laughs) that Mm -hmm. is stuck (laughs) um and they communicate. So Bitter created it, but Jam brought it to life. And because Jam brought it to life, they can like communicate non-verbally, telepathically kind of. Okay. Like reading the book was really interesting because you have verbal communication, you have non-verbal sign language communication, and then you also have with n- almost no punctuation at all her just thinking things and then like hearing thoughts inside her head from mm-hmm. from pets who could be described as a monster in in looks but does not like it when you describe them okay. as a monster and and pet uses it pronouns predominantly which is fun to okay. read that is interesting i've never I've never interacted with someone who uses it pronouns, nor have I come across any in a book. So, well, okay. I say they use it pronouns. It is, it's more that like Jam, who knows many non-binary people, who knows trans people, doesn't, uses it for them. And it never, for it, uses it for it and never, and it never corrects her. And also like another... But I didn't even notice that it was happening until another character gets introduced to them. It gets introduced to it and then they start using like masculine pronouns for mm-hmm. for pet. And I was like, oh, that's weird. Pet's not a pet's not a dude. What are you talking about? But it's also pet is not a not a not a girl. Or it, it, mm-hmm. it is it is a creature and mm-hmm. it is undefined by our concept of of gender and binary and everything because it's just a creature and it's on a hunt for a monster. Okay, so Pet is trying to help 
it find a monster then? So Jam is, is trying for to a help specific pattern, a specific monster. Sorry, is it looking for a specific monster or just it, whatever it can get? It is looking for a specific monster. Um, okay, and and Pet believes that there is a monster in Redemption's house, and okay. so from from like the end of chapter two, which is like page fifty, to the end of the book, we have. Jam helping Pess and also limiting Pess in some ways because Pet is like, we should just go and cause and find out what's happening and it doesn't matter what by what means that we do that because there is a monster and we we will just use violence if we need to and we will hurry and just go hunt. We we must just go hunt. And mm-hmm. Jam is like no, we live in Lucille. There are no monsters here. So you must be wrong. But at the same time, they can like feel the energy from Pess. And they're like, no, okay. But what if you're not wrong? What if there is actually a monster? And Jam's parents initially know that Pet is there because Jam brings Pet to them to be like, hey, I brought a monster creature Mm -hmm. out of out of the painting and they're like oh no not again what have has has pet done this before so not pet specifically but it would appear that during the first reformation they did call on these creatures in order to help suss out and get rid of the monsters initially okay but but jam's parents are like it's okay love because you can just send you can just send pet away because we did such a great job the first time getting rid of all the monsters that there are no monsters now so we we don't actually need pets so you can tell Mm -hmm. them because you brought them into the world you can just like foof them away and they have to do what you say Um, I feel a metaphor about power and how you can overthrow the last power abusing system and become people who hold power in the new system and be blind to how you are abusing that power because you're doing it in a different way. Yeah. Um, So that is kind of... I don't really want to go too much into the plot of the book because it, it I don't want to spoil it because it is so short, mm-hmm. but it is about from like, so they, they, they tell Jam to send Pet away and Jam is like, nah, I think, I don't believe that there is a monster, but what if I didn't look into it and there was one? So we will do mm-hmm. the research. So, so they tell so she tells their parents that she has sent them on, she has sent Pet away, but then they like go on the sneak and schly about about uh-huh. it. Um, and Jam has like a lot of feelings about keeping the secret from her parents because she's never had to keep a secret from her parents before. Um, there's some really lovely descriptions of them as a family, and especially as um, Alo and Bitter as a team and a grouping aloe 
Alo. Her father's name is Alo. And he is a paramedic. These people have amazing names. Amazing names. He is a par- he is a paramedic named Aloe, like Aloe Vera. I love this. Um, and he's he's so sweet and lovely. And this is like it's it's his relationship with Jam, really. Like I felt honed in on the fact that a lot of so so there is a monster. There is a okay. monster in the sense of we know that there are monsters in the world. There is a, a human being who is doing bad things to another human being within the book. And they mm-hmm. do find them and they do hold them to account. And in doing so, they start a larger conversation about how even though they have reformed the world, it needs to. it's not just a one-time thing. You need to be constantly watching to make sure that there are not new monsters coming and just because you rooted out all of the systemic evil doesn't mean that there isn't new systemic issues um Mm -hmm. and so that's the book and the book is very much about that but you kind of can see particularly in you can see that the adults in the book are like we did a really hard thing so that our children and the generations after us don't have to experience hard things. And because of that, they become blinded to the fact that bad things are still possible to happen. Like when Jam become, becomes interested right at the very start at looking, at looking up um, what angels are like in a religious context and like, how can mm-hmm. we, how can we like, know that our angels are good and angels in a religious context the pictures that she finds of them are actually quite scary looking um and like Mm -hmm. what can it mean if someone who is supposedly the beacon of goodness looks evil and what if someone who is evil looks good like how what is that as a as a question and there's a quote from that like i think sums up the book kind of and it's in like the first chapter she saw fear pass through Aloe's eyes, a ghost glimmering across a room. So she held her hand. So she let her hand stop. A minor sadness crept into his face, and he buried it in a smile. Don't grow up too quickly, he said. Jam nodded and stepped back into his chest for to hug him. His arms were live branches growing around her. Forget the monsters, he whispered. Forget the monsters. He hadn't meant anything strong by us just to comfort his daughter, prompted by an old fear, by echoes of memories of what people used to do to girls like her. But an echo of a memory is not the same as a memory, and a memory is not the same as a now. And anyway, he'd said it loud enough for the painting to hear us. So the problem is, when you think you've been without monsters for so long, sometimes you forget what they look like, what they sound like, no matter how much remembering your education urges you to do. It's not the same when the monsters are gone. You only remember, you're only remembering shadows of them, stories of what seems to be limited to the page or the screen you're reading from, flat and dull things. So yes, people forget, but forgetting is dangerous. Forgetting is how the monsters come back. The first time when they summoned creatures to help them destroy all the monsters, were they also produced from cathartic pieces of art combined with human blood, or is that new no that is also how that's how specifically bitter and aloe did us i'm not entirely sure if more people outside of them did but definitely okay 
definitely they did. And they, they're like, having a creature like this, like, around you, urging you to do things in order to root out evil. But, like, in order to root out evil, you have to make hard choices and hard decisions. And that's part of why they don't mm-hmm. want Jam to be doing that. But, um, yeah. What age is she? Uh, she's 15. 15 or 16. Okay. Um, yeah, 15 or 16. Herself and, and Redemption are 15, 16. And then Redemption has a smaller brother called Moss, who is about 10 or 11-ish. Um, and they're, like, the main people. And then the two, the two families that you focus on the most are Jams and Redemptions. And you're going to love redemption's family um he has three parents he has his mother malachi his father beloved and his other parent whisper that's they're good names Um, good people love a triad and then there's also hibiscus and glass are some other characters who are related to redemption as well and um, hibiscus like runs the local gym and glasses malachite's sister and there's just there's this beautiful scene where they're all together in in Redemption's house and Jam has like a lot of feelings about it because she has kind of gone over there to investigate the fact that there's a, supposedly mm-hmm. a monster in Redemption's house. Um, so she feels like a spy and that's why she asks, am I a terrible person? Because like I'm here all of the time. I am. This is my second family. This is like these are people who love me so much like when redemption became my friend and started learning signs so that he could like communicate with me the whole family learned not not all of them are like completely fluent in sign but they can all understand what she is saying when she signs and she's just like these people are my people um and like so therefore has like a lot of feelings about the fact that she is like spying on them in the moment but there's just this really beautiful family scene of the adults like gathering around and doing separate activities and helping each other with the cooking and just being in the same room and Moss is like running in and out doing just on the go because he's a kid that's just always on the go um it's just a really nice it's just nice basically um but it's tinged with sadness because we're hunting for a monster also hunting for a monster queer families also hunting for monsters um so yeah I think that's kind of everything I wanted to say. I'm not sure if it's a fantastic summary of the book because I really didn't want to go into the plot too much. Um, Pess is a very interesting character because they they keep urging uh, Jam Mm -hmm. not to see things so black and white and yet they themselves view the world, appear to Mm -hmm. view the world very black and white um, but just on like a slightly different... Yeah. Scale, maybe? And they also, they just have a lot of... They, ha- they are very set in their own in their own view- ways of how, t- how things should be done. And that goes against how Jam feels things should be done sometimes. Like, they really do just want to, like, go on the hunt and damn the consequences of it. And Jam is like, okay, we can go on a hunt and we can find out if there is a monster, but... We are not going to cause unnecessary damage in doing so. Like, we're going to take this a little bit slower. We're just, we don't um, 
at one point Pess is like, we need to just in, just sneak around. We need to just sneak around Redemption's home and see what we can find out. And Jam is like, no, we don't need to spy on them. In like, we don't need to be in their home without their knowledge that we are in their home. We don't need to be spying on them in that way. Like, we don't need to listen into private conversations that they don't know that we're listening to. Like, that's that in itself is an invasion yeah, and would make that us bad people. Monster activities. <laughs> but it's you see, you see, because Pet justifies it as okay. being like, but we're hunting for a monster, so all of this is justified, and Jam is like some of it cannot be and like even she does allow she does allow some spying she does go into the house invited and is like i'm looking for something in yeah. without telling them and she feels a lot of stuff about that but they go back like a night or two later in order to like check something and she initially is like we can go into the house and we can check something and she hears like the start of a conversation between two people and then she's like, we don't need the rest of this conversation because knowing that a conversation was started is enough. Like we can we can ask redemption about the conversation that he had and he will tell us. And and Pet is like, no, we can't be sure of that. We have to stay and, and listen into them. And Jam is like, no, redemption will tell us what we need to know. It's fine. And then like insists that they leave. Unless it's a spoiler. Can I ask if the monster in Redemption's house is a member of the family? It is a member of the family. Okay. It is. And is the definition of the monster someone who willfully, like, causes harm to others knowing that they're doing it? Or is it also people who cause harm to others by ignorance? Um, I think that... The book would define it as both, but in this case, they are willfully and knowingly causing damage to another person. Okay, cool. Interesting. Mm-hmm. It does sound like a very intriguing book. Um, the sort of surreal elements are fun. The, the combination of magical realism and a character who interprets reality in a way different to how we are used to seeing it interpreted in fiction is Mm -hmm. very interesting. I think maybe in September when I was doing The Space Between, I talked about how being a person with mental illness can feel very similar to being a protagonist in a horror story because you feel the horror Mm -hmm. even if there is not actually something out there trying to get you. And similarly, like, whether or not there is a measurable objective reality in which the walls are speaking to you, if that is your experience, and also this is a world where things can climb out of paintings and be alive, it's a very cool, rich landscape. It it's is. It's very cool. I, I really loved, I really loved the world building within us. Um, I also feel like it is available as an audiobook from audible i think um and i do think i'm not endorsing them but i do think that if you could get it not from audible it would be very rewarding as an audio experience there is a lot of there's a lot of avi language used and a lot of 
Mm-hmm. Bitter, I think, is from Jamaica, perhaps, um, or the Jamaican Isles. And there's just a lot of there's a lot of terms used that I was not used to and that I feel like I didn't say in my head correctly. Um, and I would really enjoy listening to it. The language itself is just very poetic throughout the novel. And I do feel like it would benefit from having someone read it out loud. And I would definitely, I'm not sure if I would read it a second time. Definitely not so close to having read it now, but maybe in a year or two. But I feel like if I had it in audiobook right this minute, I would sit down and listen to it. Particularly as it's like, those dialects are unfamiliar to you and I, Mm -hmm. because they don't tend to get to be in written texts. And we do have some exposure to them as auditory experiences because there is some like you know there's music and tv from these communities that we have access to much more than literature so it is it would be more familiar to have someone who uses that voice tell you the story yes yeah so yeah also like it's a very serious book that deals with very serious issues but also there's like little moments of good comedy in it or just like whimsicalness predominantly in relation to redemption who is just like this really joyful character the jam tells him about pests and they are like hunting the monster the three of them and pet finds him kind of annoying because he just has like so much energy and wants to know so many things and like has so many questions and pet can decide to whom he is visible to so he just like stops being visible to to redemption and is still visible to jam and is like i'm just gonna i'm just gonna hang out with you and not the rest of the world and i just i really enjoyed it it's kind of similar to being selectively verbal it is kind of similar um I loved the representation that this book had in terms of like disability, in terms of like the whole cast is is black, that they go to a library right at the start to get information about angels and the librarian is in a wheelchair. I love it when they go to a library, the librarian is in a wheelchair. Um, Like the jam is is trans. Uh, Redemption's parents are are Polly and one of them is also trans like there's just so much in the book they like oh, is, there is so much in the book I'm not entirely sure I'm giving it like the full justice that it deserves in this in this pod but but I would definitely recommend it to everyone mostly yeah. it sounds like a really richly built world it is what would be your low lights for it i know you mentioned one earlier but um my low light would predominantly be like it is not subtle in its morals which is not a problem i don't mm. i don't have a problem with that a lot of its morals i fully and totally agree with but it's not subtle like it's not um at any point and just that can be that can make it feel just a little bit juvenile in terms of reading it predominantly just because I think I really think if it had another even 50 pages Jam would be able to like sit with the concepts that are being presented to her just a little bit more and that that would 
And that would make it feel like she's coming to these realizations herself a little bit more. But also, I think that maybe then you would lose, maybe then you would lose something as well, because part of it is that she has been raised in this city where there are reminders of the past everywhere. And it's not like she doesn't know that the past used to be worse, but she has grown up in a much safer, much more accepting world. And so when she is, when she does encounter something that is, that is wrong and that belongs in the past, she is hesitant to believe it, but at the same time, she has like a very strong backbone in herself to be like, this is wrong and we do need to combat it. Do we know how they got rid of the monster the first time round? It's unclear. Was it armed just, revolution? It was not necessarily armed revolution, but I don't think that it was bloodless either. Okay, cool. I think it's much like what we are seeing in America predominantly at the moment with like a lot of riots, a lot of structural changes, a lot of like there is no police oh, force. A lot, a lot of that is armed revolution, Kira. <laughs> but yeah, true. But some like some of it is armed revolution and some of it is is more I guess, structural. Sorry, I'm gonna correct myself. It's an uprising. Yeah. And there was an uprising. It was there was definitely an yeah. uprising. Mm-hmm. And like there is a thing where Jamasks are like, are angels innocent? And Bitter replies with, it's not easy to get rid of monsters. The angels, they had to do underhand dark things. The sadness in her eyes deepened and Jam took her hand. Hard things, her mother continued. You can't sweet talk a monster into anything else when all it does, when all it does want is monstrousness. Good and innocent, they are not the same thing. They don't wear the same face. So, yeah, there we go. It does sound like a really, really beautiful book. Just poetry, wise, beauty of language wise. Yeah. And the, there's something in it as well. I think you can sometimes tell when a book is written by an, a bilingual person and a person who uses multiple languages in their daily life. Like, you know, I'm technically bilingual, but I don't make much use of my Irish. And I, I'm. it's not something that stays alive in my mind constantly. So, or, you know, not constantly, but not even on a daily basis. Whereas you can tell when an author has like a connection to multiple languages because the way they communicate is more aware of how language works and it can lead to much more beautiful prose. And I think what you're telling me about how like, you know, our protagonist uses different codes, different communication forms with different people and everything, it really reflects that, I think. Um, and the sort of culture developed in this book is also quite bilingual, I guess. Mm. Um, which is the same. I guess I also mean just... Uh, what am I thinking of? Just multi-valued. Not... Kind of just this is the future liberals want. <laughs> yeah, it is a beautiful Because it's apolitical with it as well. It's not apolitical. Like, there... Lucille is highly political. There are statues all around Lucille in remembrance of both the children and the people who were lost before the Reformation and also people who died in wars in foreign countries because violence doesn't respect boundaries and state lines. Like, 
okay, never mind. It's the future that cool people want. Anarchists and hippies. Yeah, they took down they took down all the, the racist statues and they replaced them with rememberals. That's not the word I want. Remem- and they replaced them with memorials. Um, and some of them are like okay. individualistic and some of them are just like lists and lists and lists of names because if you put up a statue for every person you wouldn't be able to move there wouldn't be enough people room for the living mm-hmm. honestly if you're not going to read this book you should still read the first chapter um every single person because i think the first chapter is really pa- like the whole book is powerful i think the first chapter in which it does the majority of its world building is particularly so it is also reminding me of Kimya Dawson's music. Mm. She has a song called Utopian Futures that sounds similar to this. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you want to mention about this book um, before we go into our end papers? No, I think I think you should tell everyone how they can find us on social media and we should, uh, we should sign off. Okay, well, there is a strong possibility that we will be back on Tuesday two weeks and I will, well, there is... I'm not going to say definite. There is a very strong possibility that we will be back on Tuesday two weeks. And there's a slightly weaker but still quite likely probability that I will be telling you about Cry of the Ice Mark by Stuart Hill, which is a book that I read when I was 18 myself. And it is a YA book and it is historical fantasy with werewolves and pagan elements and sort of the Roman Empire. Um, but... I'm still not 100% if I'll be reading that. I might be reading another one of my books in my to-read stack. And to keep up with what is going to be happening next week and beyond, you can follow us on social media. On Twitter, we are at we are at ForeverYAPod. You can support us on Patreon, on patreon.com forward slash ForeverYAPod. You can also follow us on Goodreads and keep up with what we are reading and have read on goodreads.com forward slash foreverypod I'm at and if you would like to contact us on Instagram or just see some of the beautiful edits we post on there occasionally because Kira's gone real into Canva we are at foreverypodcast I love a Canva yes um so that is where you can find us Ooh. all right Aoife I will talk to you on this podcast again in two weeks dear listeners keep well And Kira, I will also talk to you then, presumably. It would be weird if I just sat there silently. (laughs) Especially since it's your turn to read. Bye. Bye. Forever Young Adults A good podcast where we review books Kira's your wild librarian Eva's where are the lesbians They're here to answer all of your questions Because they're